Blog Talk Radio. My cue. Welcome, everyone. You are listening to This Week in Accountable Care on the Blog Talk Radio Network. I'm Greg Masters, known to some on Twitter as Two Health Guru. I write about the accountable care industry at aclwatch.com and I'm the producer and principal host of this broadcast. Joining me today is the witty, insightful, and internationally known author, consultant, and healthcare futurist, Ian Morrison. Ian specializes in long-term forecasting and planning with particular emphasis on the changing business environment inside the healthcare ecosystem, of which there is plenty at the moment. Fresh from his Future of ACO's Pioneer Pilot or Pathway to Provider Risk Talk at the 4th Annual ACO Congress, we'll get some of Ian's current insights on the state of accountable care, shall we say consciousness, <laughs> inside an otherwise legacy healthcare economy. And now more about Ian. Ian combines research and consulting skills with an incisive Scottish wit to help public and private organizations plan their longer-term future. He's written, lectured, and consulted on a wide variety of forecasting strategy and healthcare topics for government, industry, and a range of nonprofits. In North America, Europe, and Asia, Ian is the author of Leading Change in Healthcare, Building a Viable System for Today and Tomorrow. That's AHA Press, Health Forum 2011, and Healthcare in the New Millennium, Vision, Values, and Leadership, Josie Bass, published in 2002. His previous book, The Second Curve, Managing the Velocity of Change, published by Ballantyne in 96 with a New York Times bestseller as well as Business Week bestseller. Ian holds an interdisciplinary Ph.D. in urban studies from the University of British Columbia as well as other postgraduate credentials. So with that as an albeit abbreviated setup, Ian, welcome to This Week in Accountable Care. Thanks, Greg. Thanks for having me. And I'm glad you could uh, slot some time for us. I know you're a busy man. Uh, But before we get started, I want to query you about a comment um, that you made at the ACO Congress in last year, 2012, wherein uh, you masterfully, I might add, moderated a panel with uh, health plan CEOs, the likes of United, WellPoint, and Aetna subsidiary Healthogen, to which you made the following frank observation and followed it up with a key strategic question. You noted that uh, consumer surveys suggest in terms of both the trust relationship and brand issues health plans face, quote, you're an inch above tobacco companies, but not much, and people love providers, end quote, followed by, So how do you manage through this brand thing, and is it going to end up that you're really in the private label business? Other than Chuck Saunders quoting Mark Bertolini, likes to say we're the prettiest pig in the truck, did you get an answer? 
Well, no, I think they kind of artfully dodged it, but, uh, you know, I think it, it hit raw nerve at one level, just as you point out, because there's no question that, you know, surveys show if, if you have to pick victims and demons and bad guys and villains, um, you know, the, the providers come out pretty well, and most people particularly like their own physicians, and people are relatively indifferent about their health plans, and, you know, in, in national surveys, uh, managed care plans consistently sort of rank at the bottom, you know, just around tobacco companies, but significantly above Al-Qaeda, which is good, you know, I mean, so it's not that desperate. Um, but, I mean, I think I think what, what uh, caused them to pause is that, you know, many of them are out there doing deals, and uh, particularly in the ACO space, and I think they're beginning to recognize that the powerful brand at that local level is the hospital or the physician group not necessarily uh, Aetna, Cigna, United at all or Optum. And, and, you know, I think that's as it should be in the sense that uh, patients, in the final analysis, insurance is a vehicle to get health care. It's not uh, something you actually want um, as a product or service. Um, but I would say that, that there is in healthcare care what I call a mutual disrespect problem, um, which is that everybody thinks everybody else's job is easy and anybody can do what an insurance company does. And I think that's where the providers in turn fall down because it's not as easy to do some of the things that the Atlas United Optum Sigmas of the world actually do. So, uh, you know, my sense is they really do need to be in partnership and that we may be looking towards, you know, private label type opportunities being the way in which this all comes together, particularly for the ACO functions. So for those who may not be, you know, as wired in, into this continuum of, uh, you know, um, private labeling, what that entails and implies for them uh, as operators, and uh, branding, name, so-called nameplate branding, what's the significance there, and, and what did you mean by asking them about, you know, this managing pluralism in view of the deals they're doing, managing pluralism, how does that impact it? Well, I mean, I think this is a real deal uh, for many big systems because, um, as I understand it in the marketplace, and, and certainly what our surveys tend to show is that these are not exclusive uh, relationships, the relationships emerging between uh, health plans and ACO provider systems. Um, and in many instances, you've got one, two, three different commercial insurers, whether they be Blues or national players like Aetna or Cigna, um, who have signed contracts with the same entity. And the question then is, how do you manage that pluralism uh, in multi-dimensions? One is the brand issue, right? I mean, is, is, is my ACO done through Cigna with the same hospital any different from your ACO done through Optum with the same hospital? So I think that's part of the confusion in the marketplace. And also just the systems and measures and quality. And I think there's a real concern that we may be replicating some of the uh, overlap and mishmash of, of quality and performance metrics that we did in the early days with health plans out here in California. I know you were involved in the industry from the early days, and, and you know we eventually had to get standardization on all of that. And we may be looking at the same thing again with, with regard to ACO-type products. So with those uh, arguably uh, top-tier three players being you know, WellPoint slash Anthem, uh, United, 
and particularly their ARP linkage, and then uh, at the health, uh, healthogen sub, which looks to be stitching together perhaps a payer agnostic ecosystem wherein they uh, are sort of the MSO to the ecosystem. Where, where do you think they stand along this pluralism continuum and who seems to be really stepping into the role? Does one, uh, one exceed the other in your respect? Well, I think it's early days. I mean, I, I think there is everything from, uh, you know, plans uh, doing wraparound private label ACO relationships that, that we've talked about to uh, provider systems either purchasing directly or in, in some senses creating a new uh, health plan functionality. And, I mean, uh, you know, the UPMC Evelyn um, offering is being picked up in a number of parts of the country, and they're certainly in dialogue with health systems. We've seen uh, here in California, you know, uh, uh, existing uh, uh, health system-based organizations like Sharp, who always had a plan, being more active in that market, Sutter, uh, you know, acquiring that capability, Western Healthcare Advantage. So that there are a number of provider-based systems who are back in the insurance business seriously uh, as well, and they're part of the continuum. Um, as I rattle around the country, I have to say that a lot of these big health systems are realizing that it may not be ACOs that's the end state, but rather taking risk directly through Medicare Advantage, um, and that ACOs may be a, a sort of training wheels for capitation where providers take risk directly. And I, I think many of us believe that may be the end game here, um, and that all this innovation that's going on um, is a way for us to, to get there. That's an interesting point. You know, how do these two ecosystems actually work together here? Because in one respect, the the ACO Congress is uh, jointly uh, organized by the Integrated Healthcare Association as well as CAPG, the California Association of Physician Groups, who, by the way, is now open to non-California domiciled medical groups, which I think is interesting. Uh, and the ACO world, I think when the ACO regs came out and all the scuttlebutt came out about accountable care and MSSP and, uh, and then the pioneer class, um, the Medicare Advantage universe, most of the members inside those two aforementioned uh, groups were saying, hey, we not be certified by CMS, but we've been doing this for years. Talk to us. Is there, is, are, these, are these parallel universes? Well, I mean, I think, unfortunately, to some degree, they were forced to be parallel universes. Um, and the pioneer was an attempt for what I call the ninjas of managed care, the very people you're talking about who are Medicare Advantage professionals and experienced to participate in shared savings uh, models, which would allow more fee-for-service Medicare patients to migrate. But, you know, I did a little piece uh, uh I write a regular column for the American Hospital Association on, on, on why some of the ACO pioneers turned back, and I talked it through it at the ACO Congress just last week. Um, and, and what I heard from the CEOs I talked to was that they really would have preferred just more patients in Medicare Advantage uh, rather than uh, the ACO pioneer experiment. And this was just a vehicle to get more fee-for-service patients, you know, into the fold in the long run. And, and it was also the source of some of the financial 
uh, misfortune they ran into, which is that they ended up getting, I mean, there's a reason why people are not in Medicare Advantage is because they're non-compliant and they want to run around and see every doctor in the universe. And so um, in, in, the, um, in the more advanced managed care markets like Southern California, if you weren't careful, you ended up getting a lot of older patients that were non-compliant and interested in, in you know, roaming through fee-for-service. And that, that's a much more difficult crowd to corral. So, so before we maybe get a little more uh, uh, pivot to what your more recent message in terms of the presentation at the, the Congress this year, uh, let me ask you, just let, let's go back to this utility company idea of health plans and whether that is, uh, is what's going to be the sustainable model? Is it hunkered down? and drive the brand or is it to find the so-called Intel inside version of that to be sort of an Uber utility company to regional delivery systems? Is there competition there or what's the outcome going to be? Well, I think think you're going to see uh, two different plays and it may result in some of these companies splitting up. Um, you know, the health insurance business is getting is looking an awful lot like a regulated utility. Um, you know, the the you need claims processing, you need benefits administration, you need all that stuff. Um, and but the, the the medical loss ratio provisions of the ACA and all the other kind of consolidation and squeezing that's going on by various you know insurance commissioners and attorney generals across the country. Um, are going to squeeze, I think, that regulated business. So it is quite conceivable that um, the the Aetnas and the and the Uniteds of the world, the, you know, through Optum, uh, have these parallel businesses which are really in the private labeling for risk uh, advisory integration type business. Um, and it's not inconceivable to me that we'll see two parallel paths of the of the health plan industry, basically. Uh, either having dual offerings, maybe under separate financial arrangements, you know, meaning separate companies, or that they very that they, they kind of run their game basically that way. And I, I think that, you know, there's look, it's a big country, it's a big system. That, you know, there's a lot of different providers at different point in the continuum with different appetite for risk. This sucker is going to go slower than you think. Um, you know, in, in many parts of the country, although there's absolute movement everywhere. And so, you know, I think there will be room for both variants of insurance going forward. Um, you know, the, the sort of private label tool builder on the one hand and the utility benefits function on the other. Well, so I, uh, I just want to, before we really pivot, I want to just get uh, Chuck Saunders on, on the uh, the quote out here, he says, uh, uh, on this, and it really this goes to this ecosystem pluralism question that you pose. He says, you know, I'm not an insurance guy. All the businesses we've built in the, the emerging business unit now rebranded as Healthogen, we built off the ranch. All of the services we've accumulated are market-neutral brands and firewalled from Aetna, including Active Health, iTriage, and Medicity. Now, this seems to be a formula that makes sense and could work. And uh, I suppose Optum is doing, or United through Optum is, is, is doing their version of this as well. But is, are these, would these be the core indicia of what you think a, uh, a utility play might look like? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, I think uh, you know, a benefit play on the one hand and a 
uh, tool making or organizer, integrator, private labeler on the other. I mean, those are very viable. And it's interesting when you go talk to people like Ant and Optum, they go to excruciating lengths to distinguish themselves from the parent company. Um, and that, to me, is a signal, I think, that, that uh, they see themselves as being in two quite different businesses. But uh, I, I, as I say, I think there's room for both businesses, and you know, it's maybe one of the classic migration from the old business to the new business where they, they you know, invest capital in a rapidly growing uh, second curve, as I would call it, and, and milk the, the first curve you know, into oblivion. Yeah. Uh, in, interestingly enough, uh, earlier today on This Week in Health Innovation with my uh, partner, co-host Pat Sauber, who writes the, the DrWaysIn.com blog, CEO of Health Tech Hatch, uh, we interviewed Peter Hudson uh, and Wayne Guerra, who are co-founders of iTriage. And uh, interestingly enough, the company, the shell company that owned the asset iTriage, the mobile app, was called Healthogen, and uh, when Aetna acquired iTriage, they acquired the shell, Healthogen, and they said, gee, this is a great name, and they rebranded their whole emerging business units under that Healthogen banner, so that's just a little scuttlebutt. So, okay, we're in, we're in a sort of, I don't know, a death spiral here with ACA and healthcare.gov and all the sort of, you know, peppered landscape about differential approaches to state exchanges, who's playing, who's not, yada, yada, yada. But let's Let's go to what do you see happening out there? What what are some of the key issues around ACA and coverage expansion? What's what's your take? Well, I mean, I think I've been saying to groups that that you know the we should chill out here. You know, I mean, the 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 way the press is covering this, the the launch of healthcare.gov. You know, I think they want it to be like the start of the Indianapolis 500. And I've been arguing. Let's think right, brothers. Let's just get a sucker up in the air before we decide whether flying's a bad idea. You know, I mean, uh, if you look at what happened in Massachusetts uh, and the rollout of um, uh, you know Romney Care, um, it was it took a year for enrollment to really pick up, and very little came in in the first month. Now, having said that, this the federal exchange is a complete bloody disaster, right? I mean, many of us thought about this was going to happen because they didn't have the money. I mean, and let's be clear, it was starved from birth. Um, it, they never expected to have to build something at this scale. They always thought that the states would smarten up and take the money that could flow through. Um, and so, you know, it, it, w- they were set up for failure at the beginning, but they compounded it with, you know, politically driven deadlines and decisions that, you know, just tied... I mean, what is a dysfunctional procurement process made it even worse, you know. So um, I feel badly, but it's not a huge surprise. Um, I think we need to wait and see, and as I say, chill out. I think Thanksgiving dinner is going to be critical. You know, I think mothers across America are going to be telling their 28-year-old stoner kids, you know, you better get health insurance starting January 1. And then so I'm betting on the mothers of America to really amp this up and, you know, you know, slap around their bros to make sure that the uh, – there's actually these brilliant Colorado ads on brochures, which I think are terrific, um, where you basically got all these kids doing keg stands and stuff like that. But anyway, um, but that to me is the key of, uh, you know, is a, a signal event, not, not exactly how many people enrolled by the end of November. I think Thanksgiving dinner will be critical. And then, you know, I think, look – they're going to find some 
administrative way to extend it. They can't say we're going to increase the deadline because the insurers would go ballistic and the Republicans would go ballistic. So, but they're not going to leave. They're not going to find people who couldn't get through a website, for God's sake. And, um, you know, so I think, again, we've got to see where we are by the middle of next year. And, uh, but it's going very badly. The president's approval ratings were down again this morning. Um, you know, the negative on ACA is bigger than it's been in a while. But, you know, this was true when Medicare was expanded. This was true when, when the Medicare Advantage, uh, uh, you know, Part D was implemented. So let's just wait and see where we are by the election that matters, which is November 2014. Now, now having said that, I think there are some signs of light. I think Kentucky is turning out to be, you know, the big hero in this. Um, and I think Washington State's doing well. We'll see what our friends at Covered California come up with. Um, I think New York is going all right. And the state-based exchanges certainly seem to more of their act together for all the reasons that we anticipated, which was they actually got money to implement it, and they started early. And perhaps uh, wasn't the best choice of words by Obama when he talked about, uh, you know, what you could keep, you know, uh, in, in, a, in categorical terms. Uh, yet, um, I don't know if you uh, saw the article that uh, Lazuski, Robert Lazuski, put up on the healthcare blog where he talked about, um, hey, you know, I didn't have a minimal benefit, you know, I didn't have a plan that didn't qualify. It was, you know, Cadillac plan. Yet I still got a termination notice. What's up with right. that? Is this grandfather thing? Was that uh, just abused by health plans? Is this cover for you know to do things that they wouldn't otherwise do? What's happening there? Right, right. No, and I and I think it was unfortunate. And the president, I mean, I, I, his intention was right, and I don't think he really misspoke because most of the people who are getting. Uh, these notices, myself included, were people who actually signed up for plans after the uh, time he made that statement, but not all of them. I mean, and, and uh, the, the reason for this, I think, is pretty simple and inherently predictable. The people who are in the individual market are today are, are benefiting from medical underwriting, right? I mean, they're the ones that made it through the screen and weren't denied, they're the ones who can afford to pay the higher premiums. So um, they are benefiting from the, the ex, you know, they're benefiting economically from the fact that they're not in the same risk pool with a bunch of unhealthy people. So when you transfer over to a world of guaranteed issuance uh, and you get rid of medical underwriting, by definition, the premiums are going to have to go up for everybody, one would imagine. And so I think it was predictable this would happen. I think what is unfortunate is the juxtaposition of healthcare.gov being a complete shambles on the one hand and the fact that all these announcements are coming out, you know, uh, to millions and millions of people uh, on the other. I mean, I have lots of friends who are affluent 60-year-old independent real estate brokers, blah, 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 like Bob Lashevsky, um, you know, who are going from from a deal that was pretty decent, as, you know, that's gone up by 30 or 40 or 50 percent. But that's a one-time effect. And what our surveys show is the people who are in the individual market today are disproportionately affluent people. So they're not going to get the benefit of the subsidies. And that compounds the number of people who are irritated by this. But there are, uh, there are many people out there who couldn't get insurance, uh, maybe 10 percent of uh, – you know, the uninsured market couldn't actually get it in the final analysis. 
um, and they will be able to get it now, and they'll be extraordinarily grateful. But those are, those uh, happy stories have been drowned out by the by the uh, the, the folks who have uh, you know like me who are paying more for something that they they had uh, uh, maybe they bought after Obama's promise, but certainly they've had in place for the last couple of years. So that notwithstanding, and and all the you know uh, banter around ACA, uh, accountable care is a megatrend. You know, call it AC, accountable care or the triple M. It, it is a megatrend that's independent of this legislation. Correct? Absolutely right. I mean, the, the you know I've been to forty-five states, I think, since health reform passed, and I mean this is. By definition, it's got to be a lot of them, right? I mean, it's Arkansas, it's it's Maine, it's Vermont, it's Florida, it's Tennessee. I mean, everywhere you go, they may have different initial conditions. They may have different health plan concentration ratios. They may have a different tradition of managed care and group practice. But almost everywhere I've been, you see hospitals and health systems, in some cases independent physicians, stepping up under the mantra, the triple aim, to really try and be accountable in a broader uh, sense for cost and quality, hopefully for a population, not always, but certainly under that mantra. And I see everywhere I go people going after this in a serious way to integrate clinically across the continuum of care, to use IT to get to higher performance, to take costs out and quality, and to try and, you know, build a... Uh, a model that uh, that is predicated more on on population-based payment and quality-based payment and value-based payment than on episodic fee-for-service, uh, and I think that's a that's a great thing. And that train has you know left the station and is not going back. Even if Republicans are running the universe in 2016, they're not going to be able to undo all the capital that's been deployed and all the good work that's been done in the marketplace to try and improve care delivery. So uh, can you uh, see a uh, generic uh, formula here for who should be in the general contracting uh, position between payer, provider, um, <clears throat> and a hospital physician? Who, who's in the, uh, the natural position to, to be this aggregator, consolidator of these uh, more efficient value-based delivery systems? Well, I mean, let me say... It should be doctor groups, um, but there aren't enough of them, and they're not sophisticated enough, and they don't have enough capital. Um, and one could argue uh, that it is going to default to being hospital-based because they do have capital, and they are, in my view, coming around to uh, own this in a very serious way. Um, and the commitment level I see in boards and and CEOs of systems that were comfortably and are comfortably making a ton of money on fee-for-service is quite remarkable. I mean, I th- the people are on the move. So I think in terms of the landscape, it's going to likely be that the dominant model, the, not dominant, more prevalent model is hospital-based with support of the kind of ACO wraparound services we talked about with health plans. Um, a preferential thing may be uh, physicians at risk, but it's not clear to me that that's going to be as prevalent across the country. And we'll find out whether these hospital-based systems are serious and can actually deliver the goods and cannibalize their own overhead and, and their own business model to build these accountable care organizations for the future. It's, it's in their hands to do it.
So interesting uh, phenomenon over at Providence Health System, a hot, principally a hospital system that's been in the acquisition of physician practices mode for a while. But they, um, uh, uh, Bill uh, Gill, who was a CEO over at the Facey Medical Group, now Facey Foundation, Medical Foundation, uh, he, he's over there in a leadership position, and he's bringing the medical group uh, culture, if you will, to uh, a died in the world hospital system. Do you, do you think we'll see more of this type of leadership migration? Absolutely, and I think we are seeing that, and we're seeing, you know, the leaders. Uh, uh, you know, I I live, you know, two good three woods from Stanford Medical Center, and Stanford is, you know, making significant forays into the community to acquire physician groups, and has gone at risk for their own ACO for their. Uh, mem- both their, their hospital staff and the university staff uh, starting an open enrollment in January 1. And they're going head-to-head with Kaiser on the same uh, same footing with, with uh, zero premium uh, for individuals to choose either Kaiser or Stanford ACO. And so in some senses, they're competing mano a mano with Kaiser using an ACO model and their own, and their own physician network. And again... Yeah with a private label wraparound of, by Blue Shield. So, I mean, th- there are all kinds of variants of this, but I think, I think we've, we've talked through all of them here, which is you need, you need plan functions, you need hospitals, and you need doctors. You've got to find a way to make it work together um, that fits your market and fits, uh, fits the business model that you, you're working on. Well, Ian, I knew this would happen. I knew 30 minutes would not be anywhere near the amount of time necessary. Just scratch the surface on this uh, <laughs> health gear economy, which is now approximately one in five dollars spent in the U.S. So I, I want to thank you for your time. I, I look forward to uh, finishing up um, uh, reviewing your prior uh, work over the Congress, both last year and this year. It's always informative. So I want to thank you, Ian, for appearing on the broadcast today. And you've been listening to This Week in Accountable Care. I've been speaking with uh, noted author, consultant, uh, Ian Morrison. And we do this weekly. See you next week. Greg Masters saying bye now. Thanks, Ian. Thanks so much. Hello.